Welcome back to Views from the Pews. As I said in our last episode, we were going to do something different, and uh, we're going to approach things slightly differently. We're still going to talk about life events, but we're going to start always by talking about Scripture and then see how that kind of applies to our lives, and, uh, and at times it might intersect with things going on in the world, and we're going to just kind of let the text drive our thoughts uh, we're going to share uh, the story from Bible, give you the Bible verses, read that story, and then dive in and just have a conversation about it, Father Jim and I. And we're glad you've joined us. So as we begin this new uh, new take on views from the pews, and actually I should stop for just a minute, Jim, and just remind them that the first segment is going to be a Bible study, life application type approach. And the second portion is going to be a really hopeful, I'm going to share a piece of scripture and a brief reflection that I hope brings us a little hope and comfort in this particular time uh, right now, especially as we live through this pandemic together, uh, bring a little word of, of scripture. And and actually, at times we're going to talk about scripture, we're going to talk about tradition, uh, we're going to bring things out of the early church. So it'll be interesting. We're going to have a lot of fun with this, Jim. So let's dive in. Today we're going to read from Leviticus. This is a, a book that people love, especially Christians across all swaths of Christianity love to to pick and choose what they quote from Leviticus. So we just are diving right into something that I read in my uh, everyday, kind of in my daily readings. This popped up, I guess it's been about a couple weeks now uh, when this popped up, but it, I flagged it as something I thought would be fun to talk about. So we're reading from Leviticus chapter 25, verses 35 through 43. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, Help them as you would a foreigner and stranger, so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God, so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at a profit. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they and their children are to be released, and they will go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors. Because the Israelites are my servants, whom I brought out of Egypt, they must not be sold as slaves. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. Well, Jim, I saw you laugh when I said about that quote about reading uh, reading uh, Leviticus, and and let me let me clarify that, and then you can talk about why you laughed. I sometimes make these comments because I hear Leviticus quoted by a lot of Christians, mm-hmm. oftentimes uh, to justify any number of things from major, what we might call major divisive issues, all the way down to minor uh, funny things about the law. Because of course, the Book of Leviticus is is. Uh, one of the books that has tons of laws and mandates uh-huh. from God that were given to the Israelites. And in terms of time, we are, um, if we want to think about it from a history or historiography point of view, historical point of view, I don't know what word I just used there. I'm going to blame that on having a child, a, a small baby. A historical point of view, the Israelites are on their way to the promised land. They're on their way. And they're getting all these mandates from God on how to really live together and how to, to care for one another. Well, I was glad you chose this as our first topic for, for this new format uh, because uh, it's interesting that Leviticus is a rich book. There's a lot in it that's really 
helpful for us today. Uh, but the strange thing is, is that Leviticus is only mentioned, only one passage from Leviticus appears in our lectionary. It appears once each year, but it's the same passage. It's Leviticus 19. And in fact, it's going to be this, uh, this coming Sunday's reading is the, from Leviticus. It's the one where Jesus is quoting, uh, you should love your neighbor as, as yourself. That's from Leviticus. And so uh, I'm delighted. Uh, it really calls us to some attention to the people around us. It, it calls us to, I think John, when he preached a few weeks ago, talked about the lenses we, we, we look through when we see others trying to train our lenses to be like God's lenses. So we see people like God sees them and treat them the way God would treat them. And that's a challenge. Well, yeah, I mean, if you start here, if we just start here in verse 35, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger. Now, what's important about that is all throughout Leviticus and at different points, also in Exodus, when they talk about the foreigner and stranger, it is interesting how they are supposed to be treated. They are supposed to be supported. They're supposed to, their dignity is supposed to be respected. They are not somebody to take advantage of. They're not actually, and what's interesting is the foreigners in the Israelite time, this may be really crazy for us to consider in the, anywhere since, uh, we'll say anywhere since the 1500s, this is really interesting. They were, um, you weren't really supposed to ask questions as to why they entered your land. They could have been coming into your land because it was more profitable for them. They could have been fleeing something. They could have been, that was of no concern to you. You had a foreigner living among you and you had a certain, according to God, you had a certain call to how you were supposed to respect them and treat them. Um, now, when it came to land ownership issues, that's where Leviticus and and other points in the law can get a little interesting because it's clear that the land was for God's people, not for the foreigners. But at that same time, you weren't supposed to exploit the foreigners and those who come among you. And at the same time, the land didn't belong to the Israelites. It was God's land that God was lending them to use. So, Which is exactly why he alludes to in this passage, which I'm glad you took the bait on that, Jim, okay. and brought that up, the year of Jubilee. When you hear the year of Jubilee, if I'm not mistaken, that's the 50 years, correct, Jim? Mm-hmm. 50 years. If you have gained land from somebody, it, you are supposed to give it all back. If you've brought something, as you hear in this passage, if you've ended up bringing on an indentured servant, let's say, or a yes. servant, you're, that person is released. Yes. No matter how much they owe you, how much you lose, you are meant to bring, uh, to restore everything because, as this text often says, Because the Israelites, this is verse 42, because the Israelites are my servants, whom I, I, God, brought out of Egypt, not you yourselves. Mm -hmm. I brought you out of Egypt. You are my servants. So therefore, every 50 years, you have to release one another from any kind of bonds that you have, any kind of yoke that you have around somebody. Oh, by the way, if you do have a yoke, let me tell you how you're supposed to treat that person. You're not supposed to charge interest. You're not supposed to sell them things at profit. You're supposed to care for them equally, which is probably when you hear this, this is why I don't think people talk about Leviticus very much, except in very microscopic to make a a point. And we, we pull, we tend to pull things. And when we do this with all the scripture, I'm not faulting any one Christian. We all do this. We all like to go into the text and find one or two things 
take those things usually way out of context to justify something, whatever it is, whether big or small. Maybe it's a, a choice we're making in our own life or something like that. We all do this in small and large ways. And I think this is why you don't hear a lot from Leviticus because that to us, probably to modern ears, sounds crazy. Well, yeah. And if you, if you own a franchise of payday loans, all of a sudden you're out of business. But the notion of the Jubilee year, you know, you have every, every seventh year is a, a sort of Jubilee or a minor Sabbath when you let the land rest, which makes sense. And, and then after, after seven, jubilee year, seven Sabbath years, you have the Jubilee when it is restored. And I think I like the, the principle behind it because it reminds us that God is a restorative God. You know, when, and, and it's a kind of the pattern that we create in the world and, and invariably things go amiss. And it says, let's just back and, and right now, restore everything back to the way it was supposed to be. And uh, I, I think people are too fixated on God being a vindictive, uh, retributive God and not so much time on thinking about God as a restorative God. Yeah, and I mean, and, and I think God from the time of creation set rhythms mm-hmm. and patterns that really, if you if you think about it, make a whole lot of sense. Like giving the land a chance to rest, just from a point of creation care. Mm-hmm. You know, again, we're we're talking about this jubilee that's mentioned in in verse forty to give some context to this to this text. But when you talk about the Sabbath years, to give the chance to the, the land a chance to rest, because that would harken back to the Israelites who first heard this to Genesis where God said, you have dominion over the land and, and to help you have that dominion, let me show you how you care for it. Let me show you. And there's other points uh, where God will step in through the prophetic work and say, why are you doing this to my land? Um, and it's again, to modern ears, we probably, as you said, payday loans, but a number of us would think no interest. What's that? So I think we tend to gloss over it or we'll, or we'll, we'll call it um, allegorical that he wasn't talking about not being able to charge interest. When in actuality, what if he was? Mm-hmm. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? I don't know if we indict ourselves, but what do we do with that? Like that's the great question. Sometimes when you dig into scripture, sometimes it is hard. Well, in this text, this, uh, this, uh, uh, this commentary on the Torah, this Jewish commentary on the Torah, in talking about the Jubilee year, it said it, it was. It was. They don't think it ever actually worked. They don't think anyone ever actually tried to put it into practice, uh, because you know no one's going to loan. If you're one year away from a jubilee year, you, you're not l- lending anyone anything because you, you, you know, that loan will be canceled. Uh, but in principle, the con- the principle of the jubilee year tells us a lot about. The mind of God, the sort of God, sort of person God is, and and us to, you know, the notion of forgiving, uh, forgiving the land for forgiving, forgiving uh, debts, uh, is 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 a vision of God who who is always forgiving. God's the God of second and third and fourth chances. God is always forgiving us even before we confess. Uh, so it should be that we, we should be forgiving people as well. Yeah. And I think that's to answer my own question from a minute ago, as you've touched on, 
uh, all of us, when we open scripture, particularly Christians, when we open scripture, whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament, we all have a hermeneutic. And that's a fancy word for an interpretive lens. For example, my hermeneutic for most of my ordained life has been to understand scripture. Well, one, I believe when Jesus said, on these two commandments, hang all the law on the prophet, and those two commandments being loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, that he meant those. So on those two commandments, hang all the law. So everything in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, basically everything in the Old Testament, hang all the law on the prophet. So that is the entire entirety of the Old Testament. So if that's true, then I must, I take that hermeneutic, that interpretive lens. I put those glasses on and I read this text in Leviticus and I'm going to try to understand, okay, how has this helped me love God or help me love my neighbor? And I think we've touched on some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the one, the one piece we haven't talked about that I think is interesting given a lot of things that have happened in the last several years here in this country and in many countries actually all across the world when we talk about foreigners in the land. You know, how, what, what does Leviticus say to us today as Christians, as even as Jews, as, as people who adhere to this book of Leviticus? Well, I think if you look at it through loving your neighbor, you have to wrestle with what does God expect us to do with foreigners and, and those sojourners who enter our land. Again, we don't ask them why, right? The Israelites didn't ask them why. They came and went. Um, and it's interesting. I think you have to wrestle with that. You know, we can, we can shirk it off and say it's too hard or it's too complicated, but there's something to be said for that. And I don't have an answer, right? I don't have an answer. I'm just saying that if we believe what Leviticus is saying, and this is the great, this is the great conundrum of all of scripture. If we believe what God is saying in this portion of Leviticus and also around this portion of Leviticus, as it relates to foreigners, as it relates to debts, as it relates to how we relate to one another, that's a whole lot of relating. You have to wrestle with it. You have to wrestle with it. And then you have to, I think the great, the great struggle for us is to, to take something like this and say, okay, what can I do today in Austin, Texas? What can I do today in the state of Texas? What can I do today in the United States of America? Because I'm a citizen of the United States. I am a citizen in Texas and I'm a citizen in Travis County here in Austin. Mm-hmm. What, what does this mean for my life? Uh, what is that? What do I just say? Oh, that's, that's great. That's a good, that's a good text. Let me just throw that off. Or how does it inform loving, loving God and loving my neighbor? And I think that's the dilemma, right? That's how I understand scripture. Well, a broader reading of, Le- of Leviticus and a lot of, of the prophetic uh, books uh, shows a concern on the part of the author that in, that in a society, there should be people who are super wealthy and people who are super poor. Uh, the vision for humanity in the scripture is of of of, of an equality of 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 welfare i mean it's all people taking care of everyone else the, the it was a great concern and and that's in fact that's the that was the the, the famous sin of sodom that that the, the pro- prophets point to or even, maybe even jesus talked about that uh, the wealthy lie on their couches while the poor are begging for scraps it's this vast inequality that that that, that uh, angers, you know, gets gets God riled up, uh, and God is, and also there's four groups of people in the Old Testament, especially that are mentioned as deserving of our care. It's the widows, orphans, foreigners, and people 
who are poor, people without means, people who cannot support themselves for whatever reason, those four groups especially deserve our attention and deserve our help. And Scripture is clear about that. Well, and I think that's what you get when you start reading all the prophets. That's one of the great things they're going to attack uh, when the prophetic prophets prophesy. They're prophesying against behavior that's not only worshiping other gods, which is usually where our minds go, because I think that's the easier thing to see. And it is a, a broad topic amongst the prophetic work is why is the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel moving away from Yahweh to Baal or other uh, local gods? But underneath that, at times, uh, many times, especially in the minor prophets, they are tearing apart the, the, the lack of care of those four groups of people. And I think that points to this larger conversation that not only is this a restorative God and not only is this a forgiving God, but this is a God of justice. And maybe that's a loaded word today, but it, we have to remember that in this time, justice wasn't a loaded word. In the time of Jesus, in the time of the New Testament, justice, and also in the Greek, in the New Testament, a lot of times the word justice and the word righteousness that we like to use is the exact same word. Hmm. Those two words are almost identical. And I think that's because um, that's part of what we're doing. To be righteous, to, to, to live the right living is to be someone who is focused on justice as defined in loving God, loving your neighbor as outlined in the law and the prophets. So you have to notice those things that God seems interested in. You have to be willing to wrestle with those. You, you can't say you live a life of righteousness if you're going to, not pay attention to what God's interested in, in my mind. It's, or you, you could say you're living a life of righteousness, but are you? I mean, at what point do we have to be real about that? I, you know, I should, should, should go without saying what we just read here, uh, and, and, and the people of Israel should be very sensitive to the, you know, being friendly to your, your neighbors, being friendly to the foreigners, because it wasn't in there, it wasn't too long ago, that they themselves were, were had traveled into Egypt because there was a famine in the, in, throughout the land, and Egypt had the resources that, that, that they would share with the people of Israel. And then they grew populous, and the Egyptians grew jealous of them, and then the Egyptians enslaved them. They mistreated their foreigners, the foreigners among them. And so now that Israel is an established nation, it has to be reminded that you were once in those the, those people's shoes, these foreigners, these these uh, travelers. That was you once, and 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 and, and Egypt welcomed you initially. Eventually, they turned on you, enslaved you, but and I, I brought you out. But that was you. And that's interesting too, saying Israel as an established nation, um, which will happen not long after this passage here in Leviticus that we read. Historically, they'll come into the land and they'll establish themselves. But even fast forward to today, Israel is a country. And again, another thing I don't have the magic answer to, but I don't think you can overlook, what is, how does this apply to Israel today? You know, And I don't think that's something we have to go into, but I think that would be a question from the text. How much of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Exodus, how much of what we just talked about as it relates to foreigners applies to the nation of Israel as we know it in the modern era today? I don't know. You know I don't know. I don't know if I have a magic answer to that. That's obviously a hot button conversation, yeah. and, I, and I don't want to take the bait on that. It's kind of sad that we can't have that conversation, but I would imagine that this text has something to say about Israel throughout 
all of time, not just back thousands of years ago, I would think. But obviously that's up for, you know, it'd be interesting to talk to uh, some rabbinical scholars about how they apply uh, the text of the Old Testament, their text, their sacred text, which is one half of our sacred text, to conversations uh, about Israel today. And that's not to say, and I want to be very clear on this podcast, I'm not stating that Israel is doing something wrong by making that claim. I'm saying, what does Leviticus chapter 25, verses 35 through 43 have to do with, if anything, with the modern Israel, state of Israel? That's the great question. I don't know. I don't really know what that is. Or for that matter, for the United States. Yeah, or any nation. Does this, do we apply this, again, putting my interpretive lens on, to ourselves was God, in, in, yeah. or was God serious when He said these things? Yeah, or that. And do we need to take it seriously? Yeah. And if we don't, what other parts can you not take seriously? Exactly, and that's the great. So everything we've just said is it's kind of how we. How, that's why I love biblical scholarship. This is why I've never thought, and maybe it's a product of seminary. And I guess some people would say that was the curse going and learning. Um, and by some people, I mean there's people in my family who when I went to seminary and started studying scripture, they didn't like what I was learning. Um, and I get it. Cause even for me sitting through old Testament classes and new Testament classes, it, it will stretch what you think you've always known. It stretches you. Cause all of a sudden you look at a text and you're like, huh, I never really thought of that before. Or you get to look at the manuscripts, you get to see, mm-hmm. you know, how they get these bound books that we call Bibles that we just take for granted and go purchase off Amazon or and nobles or wherever we buy our books, we don't realize how much work goes into putting those texts together. Um, there's a whole bevy of scholars who are looking at little pieces of text yeah. that we have uh, and trying to figure it out. But I love scholarship. I love having these conversations. Not because I don't think we solved anything. I don't think we have any answers, but I think we raised some great questions. And to steal from Mother Teresa, who everybody thought had this, who, who, who everybody thought had this deep faith and then questioned after her passing because she had so many questions. Mm -hmm. But isn't it true that it's in the questions I sometimes that we actually find depth and we connect to God. So I'm glad we're leaving some questions on the table today with Leviticus. And I would encourage everybody listening to wrestle with this text and read the text around it and play with Leviticus and, and think about in your times, whether it be Leviticus or some other book, how often have you gone into a text? I know Jim and I have done it. We do it just as much as everybody else. Gone into a text and realized that you've taken things way out of context or you haven't studied it. Mm-hmm. And what comes from your study? You know, I think it's a lot of fun to do that. So there's a lot here. I mean, that was just, what, eight verses? And it raised questions about the Jubilee, questions about foreigners, questions about uh, property, questions about the land, I mean, all of this just in eight verses in the book of Leviticus. And that's why I wanted to to start here, because this is a fascinating, fascinating text. And I could go on and on about Leviticus, but I'm going to stop there and encourage everybody just to read and study. Read and study and think about it and think about what's going on in your life, what's going on in the world, what's going on in your particular location, and how does it relate and how does it encourage you? How does it move you? Because as Christians, I believe God's always calling us to move not to sit, but to move in some form or fashion. And I know realize that as Christians, we'll never agree on what that looks like, but I think most of us will agree that we are supposed to move in some direction. And it would, we do ourselves justice 
to get out of our own way and let ourselves and let ourselves move be moved by texts like this and by scripture, whether it be in thinking, action, or conversation. All right, when we come back, I'm going to pick up on a little hopeful passage uh, to set your tone for the week. So we'll see you in just a minute. As we come back, I want to share with you a Psalm 130, a portion of Psalm 133, uh, verses 1 through 5. Oh, how good and pleasant it is when brethren live together in unity. It is like fine oil upon the head that runs down upon the beard, upon the beard of Aaron, and runs down upon the collar of his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon that falls upon the hills of Zion. For there the Lord has ordained the blessing, life forevermore. I wanted to share that with you because I think given our current context, it seems like we spend most of our time, not all of us, not everybody, but it seems like we're all struggling to find a way to build relationship, particularly with those we disagree with. And then we have to be reminded, and Psalm 133 touches on the reality that we're called into unity with one another, not to be homogenous, not to be the exact same person, but to be the unique children of God that we are, even if we don't understand the uniqueness of another child of God. And it's in, it's actually the power for unity and connection lies with us, not with them, whoever them is. It lies with you and me and our willingness to wake up every day and connect with somebody because that's exactly what God does in the incarnation with us in the person of Jesus Christ chooses you and me every day, not because of our sins and not because of how good we are just because of who we are we are gods and god chose to come among us and be with us and that is the incarnational presence of psalm 133 that we know in jesus christ and that's what god calls us to calls us to live out that unity with one another so i'll leave you with this prayer out of our prayer book that i think is just uh perfect for us let us pray O God, you have bound us together in a common life. Help us in the midst of our struggles for justice and truth to confront one another without hatred or bitterness and to work together with mutual forbearance and respect through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we hope you liked uh, enjoyed our podcast today uh, as something different, and we're always going to dive into the text in the first segment, and then I'll share something hopeful or inspiring, hopefully for the second, uh, to bring words of comfort to you and to your families. Uh, but do email us, email Father Jim, J, uh, jcook at stlukesonthelake.org. Email me, Justin Yon, jyon at stlukesonthelake.org. Dig into your scriptures, play with it, read different commentators, read from different people, have a conversation about scripture with other people, and just enjoy the text and wrestle with it. Let it inspire you. That's what Views from the Pews is going to transition to encouraging you to wrestle with the text, wrestle with your faith, and do it as much as you can in community and not just with like-minded people, but people who are different than you. And that's the beauty, I think, of the divine text that we call the Bible that sometimes I think we take for granted and almost put it in a box and make it too simple uh, when it's it's clearly just, just spend time in Leviticus. It's not simple. It's very complex and it's challenging and it's comforting and it's and it just pushes us. So let it push you. And next week we'll we'll jump into a different part of the text. We hope you'll join us. So until next time, have a great rest of your week.